Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. You can connect with us on social media at LonghornPod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the Matthew McConaughey and my Renee Zellweger, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Um, you know, I, I I like both of those titles, but if we're going to just speak purely from commencement, uh, speak, folks, please please call me your Brene Brown, because that's where I really want to be. Heart, heart uh, for Brene. I'm, I'm trying to be vulnerable, Gerald. I got no response to that. <laughs> that was good. Got him. That was good. I rarely am I speechless and I didn't know how to follow up with, with Brene Brown. Um, She's so great. Doing better better than Zach Smith though. So we're both, we're doing all right. Uh, But we're not here to talk about former coaches who are now currently in prison. Enjoy it, Zach. We're here to talk about current (laughs) coaches. So we're going to run you through that real quick. Texas is currently committing basketball. So we'll hopefully have a recap of that before we're gone. It's not looking good early. We'll down the 40, a lot of, Non-revenue sport action this week, so there's a lot to catch up with. So like we said, there are now 10 assistant coaches. National Signing Day has come and gone. Brian Carrington has taken his air quotes demotion back to whatever his title was before that. He's no longer a positional coach, so he can't go on the field, but that's fine. Uh, So Texas now on the offensive side. Offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Mike Yersich, running back coach Dan Drayton, Wide receiver coach Andre Coleman, offensive line coach Herb Hand, and new tight end coach Jay Bolware on the defensive side. Got Chris Ash, Oscar Giles, newly hired Mark Hagan on the defensive line as well. Linebackers Coleman Hustler and cornerbacks Jay Valai. So a staff that Tom Herman hopes will produce better results on the field and hopefully allow him to keep his job over the next couple of years. So now that you look back, Kyle, we, we, it's been an offseason. The whole Texas recycled, what, seven of its ten assistant coaches. So now the unit is assembled. And what, do you, what are your thoughts on the refreshed group? Well, it is refreshed. Um, it is names that uh, it'll, it'll be very interesting to watch. You know, the, the folks who are casual fans, maybe just keep an eye on the Twitter, but don't dive all the way in. Try to pronounce some of these because um, there's some tough ones between uh, Vali, Hutzler, uh, Yur- you know, Yurkic right up off the top. Um, you know, it's uh, it's going to look like a lot of new faces out here for folks. Um the offensive side, I guess, has a little bit more continuity, bringing back Drayton and Hand and mixing in Andre Coleman, who was on the staff. So in, in on the offensive side, you're basically just blooding Jay Bulware uh, at the tight end spot. Um, and uh, obviously with a new OC QB coach, um, one who diagrams plays with Legos, so don't, don't let us uh, fail to remind you that that uh, exists as a video on the internet. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think I'll start there, and I'll, I'll say I'm I'm – Quietly optimistic. I think an upgraded, hopefully, both the receiver and tight end position can lead to even more production uh, from both of those units. Uh, I think Coleman was a, a player favorite on staff last year, and I hope that translates. Um, you know, again, don't wish ill on, on any outgoing coach. Hope they're all wildly successful, but hopefully that will also um, 
see some dividends on the recruiting trail at that position uh, in the coming kind of year, uh, in addition to, again, continuing the trend of some really, really productive players at that position. Obviously, running back is, is, is going to be the most interesting just because it went from being an empty cabinet to a, a cabinet and cupboard full, and I think Stan Drayton is probably the right guy. You look at the work of taking a quarterback in Roshan last year and turning him into a really productive running back, and you just know the guy has some skills. Um, so I'm excited to see that. And then obviously just, you know, how does it all meld, right? You take Tom Herman, who's an offensive guy. You put him with a new OC who has his own ethos, but but is shown to be a bit flexible in how he does things. And then again, when when we talk about Herb Hand, Herb Hand is is notorious for um, he's an offensive line coach who has something of a vision, a gospel, and a doctrine. Who you know knows the 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 spread run, who knows um, how to how to you know block pass block in a, in a spread scheme as well as really help establish the run. So I think you have a really interesting mix of guys who bring some really interesting experience both in the big 12 and otherwise um to this staff that should hopefully you know be able to capitalize on a a heavy talent laden unit and a senior you know sam ellinger hopefully one for the for the books quarterback uh year so from the offensive side i'm i'm excited um i'm not gonna say i just assume there will be no problems no wrinkles no you know little things to iron out um, but I think there's a ton of talent, and I'm saying talent from a, from a coaching perspective uh, on this on this unit. When you look at this, when you look at this group of guys, at least at the positional coach spot, there's a lot of years under the belt. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that I really appreciate about this group. Drayton's been around at every level of football. Coleman's been around at every level of football. Herb Hand is a name that if Texas, if there's turnover on the staff next year at the head coach position, I hope Herb Herb hand stays around somehow i think he he does the oscar giles and sticks through the new regime i would hope uh jay bulware a guy who has been around for a long time there's a lot of experience and that's been on both sides of the ball the the big thing with the the texas development is that the the talent has always been there so they need people that are experienced at developing players and i think this group specifically on the offensive side has a ton of years in doing that i'm really excited to see it before we go gerald i do want to add uh i i I should have said this in my piece i i forgot uh coach zycheck texted me this weekend he was at a conference that herb hand spoke and the text i received was i heard herb hand talk about minute details about gap scheme runs for three hours and 45 minutes straight so there is hope <laughs> i love, I love that. it uh sorry i didn't want to get off and, and not give uh, coach zycheck and and coach hand a uh, a shout on the pod please proceed to the d like i'm i'm a football nerd i'm a massive football nerd i'm currently learning data visualization software to help with my statistical nerdiness. And that is so nerdy. I absolutely love it. Uh, so on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Chris Ash comes in. And one of the things that I'm really interested to see on this defensive side of the ball, because again, you've got Giles has been around for a while. Hagen is a guy who has really high level coaching experience. Coleman Hutzler and Jay Valai are guys that are probably earlier in their career. Tom Herman brought in a defensive coordinator. That's a former head coach. 
And so I'm curious to see how hands-off he is on the defense. If he lets Chris Ash kind of just run this group and he focuses on getting the offense back to where it needs to go. Like, that's where my gut is telling me. That's based on nothing other than seeing, like, how organizations are built. Again, if you don't know, my day job is all organizational dynamics, organizational development. So seeing how you you build groups, bringing in somebody that's got experience as a as a EVP or a VP of operations, you're like, hey, just go run this this other business unit while I handle this one. And I'm curious to see if that's what the defensive coaching staff looks like. Well, and and not to not only to mention that, but he he did equip the defensive coordinator with a fifth coach this year, right? After after kind of going six on the offense last year, that that's been reduced to five. If you miss those numbers, and now five on defense. So just you know, plain and simple, instead of having two receiver coaches, we have two D line coaches, and I think that signifies uh, a little something, right? I, I know we we've talked, or you know, probably if you've gone on any Longhorn site or listened to this podcast, there's been talk at nauseum about the switch from a three man front to a four man front. What that means, what that means in the Big Twelve. Okay. All right, we could go over it again. Happy to, um, but I mean, you, you look at it. We're basically um, putting two coaches there. I think there's an expectation just inherent in that that they expect that to be a unit of production. They expect Oscar Giles, a guy who, when he just you know focuses on defensive ends, has churned out Lombardi, Bednarik, you know, potentially you know Pro Bowl NFL um, or actually Pro Bowl NFL um, caliber players. He's a guy who who you know has an unbelievably proven track record. Um, and then you bring in Hagen, who's a big 10 guy uh, who did have a stint at uh, some other school down the road. Um, but just, uh, you know, has, has like you said, some years in the game. Um, and I think what, what that signifies to me right away, Ash, who coaches the defensive backs um, probably, you know, combining with, uh, with specifically safeties co- combining with, uh, coach Valai, who, uh, he knew it, it, it Rutgers on the cornerback. They're going to handle that, uh, position. And I don't know that Herman's going to jump in anywhere there unless it's, it's to help Hutzler with the linebackers, which every person in burn orange, whether you're in the, in a headset in the stands or on the field is going to be watching that position with bated breath. But, uh, I, I really think you're probably onto something to say that, that Herman hands the keys to Ash and says, all right, let, let's see. I trust you. You know, I know good things. We've had success together in the past. Let's go recreate it here. You have carte blanche basically to to run your system. We have tons of talent, five stars, high four stars, you know, lauded recruiting classes at your disposal. Guys who were young last year have less excuse about being young this year. You know, there's some experience in all positions. So I, I really think with the fifth coach and with with a guy of experience like you said with Ash that that you could be spot on that 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 is a unit that Herman meddles very little in. Again, if you trust the guy, then let him run it. That's kind of what I always tell uh, leaders that I'm coaching. So, of that group of the ten names that we've named, who has the toughest task? in 2020 i mean i think i alluded to it i think it's coleman hutzler right i think it's a guy who comes in and he doesn't have the mega clout you know name of uh you know he's a big huge hire that that everyone knows and it's you know social media flurry when he's announced and he also comes in and coaches you know you look at every one of those position groups from offense at each position to defense down the one that has the biggest question marks that has um you know the least amount of returning talent um the one that is maybe the most dependent um upon this new scheme you could argue defensive line sure but um the defensive line basically frees up the linebackers to do what they're going to do so i mean it it, it is just 
so interesting. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of are there certain safeties who are going to move down and play linebacker? There's just so much question mark um, at that position that, hey, man, Coleman Hutzler, if you're the guy and you're, you're going to go do a, a miracle job here, you just go ahead and, you know, get yourself promoted and be Will Muschamp 2.0 um, if you uh, if you can pull off a miracle here this year. And let's let's keep you a couple years. Do it about three years in a row um, and get some some Texas linebackers uh, drafted into the NFL. Then then go ahead and be a defensive coordinator. Like, the the the, uh, the reward is, is there. The upside is there if he can make something, um, if he can turn art out of this pile of paint. On a similar thread, I think Jay Valai is a guy who I think has a tough job specifically because I think for the exact opposite reason that you said, there's not necessarily an excuse for a guy like Mm. Jay Valai to not produce because Texas has a ton of horses in the secondary. Now, I know that Ash will be coaching the safeties, but Texas has recruited really, really well. Texas has a lot of potential at quarterback. There are a lot of guys that can rotate in. He's got a big talented uh, group there and so there is not a ton of excuse for him not to get a uh, not to get a a top product out of it if a lot a lot of people have said he's a developer of players we talked about it when he was hired he ran a player development camp in Dallas for five years a guy who I'm not a huge fan of on Twitter uh, but I think highly of his opinion of football footwork King says that Valai is one of the best in the business so I think that's something I'm curious to see how it plays out because again Texas has an embarrassment of riches in the secondary. Like there are, there is a ton, a ton, a ton of talent. And so if you're brought in to develop young players and that those young players don't develop, then the target on your back grows exponentially, especially at a place like Texas. So I'm really, really uh, interested to see how that works out. So the final question, Kyle, the big question, is this staff, the group that gets Texas to turn the corner or is this Texas looking at another head coach in a year or two? Man, that's a tough question. It's a million dollar question. I mean, I think if I think if uh this is a historically bad defense, if we're talking about is this one of the worst defenses in school history like it kind of was I mean, like it was last year, um, for a majority of the year, then then I think you probably are looking at it's some some new coaches at least on that side of the ball. I don't, even though there's so many new faces, I don't know that there is a lot of safety net here. I think we talked about two guys, both on the defense, probably not a coincidence, who have some proven to do, and for different reasons, but have some proven to do. Um, I think, I think that this is a staff. I don't see any glaring hole that it's like wow. They, they couldn't fill it. They got some bum. You know, that's going to be our downfall, and we're only going to win seven games n- next year. I really don't don't see that. I think there should be an improvement next year, probably an improvement in wins. Um, uh, I mean, hopefully a chance for the next step. Like, I, I don't see this as a team that none of these – that no one on the staff knows and has the talent and really, in a lot of their cases, the experience to get this team to a Big 12 conference berth. Like, they – there's nothing there that says they can't be that. I'm not going to sit here and predict it un- undoubtedly, but I-, I do think that this is the staff that if Herman really is the genius that he has been made out to be, he has all the guys to enable him to take his his vision and make it real. Um, and I think, again, I'm focusing especially on that offense, I think hopefully can be special next year. Um, and if that is the case, if these guys all perform in that way, then then yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. It, I think Texas has a has a shot to see it get a number by its name and, and it'd be a pretty small number if they can pull off the beginning of the season right. And I think 
Texas has an opportunity to go into Baton Rouge and come away with the win. And I if if this staff comes out of non-conference play 3 and 0, I feel pretty confident about the rest of the season because honestly, like the Big 12 is still going to be really up in the air next year. Yeah. I mean, OU's OU's going to be finally breaking in a freshman quarterback. They at least as it stands right now, uh February 10th of 2020, they don't have a big name transfer coming in. This could completely be a wash. But I mean, Kansas State still going to be trying to figure things out, I think. West Virginia, don't know what's going on there. Texas Tech, can Alan Bowman stay healthy? Like, that's, again, going to be the question. I think Baylor's going to be back to being a dumpster fire. Kansas, TCU. TCU probably have a bounce back year because that's – I don't know if Gary Patterson has bad years back-to-back. Iowa State and then Oklahoma State to close the season. Like, I just don't – like, this could be a really – again – the optimistic sunshine pumping side of me says that this could be a year where Texas finally breaks through and gets a conference championship. I think realistically, you know, 10 and three in the, in, in the regular season with an appearance in the big 12 championship is a, is a more likely expectation. I think it's hard to beat a team twice. Now, granted, if Texas loses one in the regular season ends up in the big 12 championship and then wins, that'd probably be my preference, but that's neither here nor there. So, but I do think this is staff, that can move things in the right direction. I do think this is a staff that closed really well recruiting. They got two of the four guys that they needed to get, and those other two were really, I'll be really honest with you, not very likely. And now that they're out of it, Princely kind of weirds me out with his sometimes in, sometimes out. They got in too late on Rakestraw. It's just a whole thing. All of that rambling aside, short answer, yes. This is a staff I think can get Texas back to a conference championship game. I think it's a staff that could potentially win a conference championship game. With the talent they have, I think at linebacker is the one big question I have, but I think with the level of talent that is on campus, if these guys are who they're built to be, then I definitely think this is a group that can get Texas there. With that being said, they're currently working out. They're working out right now. It is Yancey time. Yancey o'clock, so they're working out. Spring practice starts in a couple of months, so hopefully they'll be able to change and alter their bodies for that, and we'll be with you every step of the way through spring and spring practice. So unfortunately, we have to talk about this because I think we're both contractually obligated to um, flagellate ourselves by talking about Texas basketball. Texas basketball's losing streak extends to three games after um, putting up another poor performance. I, I'm, t- I'm running out of ways to say they're playing terribly. Like, I'm running out of ways to say they're playing terribly other than audible chance of fire. Shaka broke out at the drum. So is this it? Like the, I feel like the nail has already been in the coffin, but are we just like making sure it's sealed tight? So the zombie of Shaka can't come out. Like, I feel like that's the stage that we're at right now. Yeah. Oh man. This is not a fun team to talk about. I'll say that. Uh, I, I find it hard to imagine other than millions of dollars why Shaka is or how Shaka is our coach next year. Um, again, losing to Baylor, the number one team in the country, is not like the worst thing that's ever happened, guys. I, I, I promise you that. It's the fact that you held Baylor to 22 points in a half and you lost that game. You know, you lost that game by seven. You uh, you were only outscored by one in the first half, but you could in the second half, but you could muster sixteen paltry points in the first half. They went 
I think that they went the last five minutes, like four minutes and 22 seconds. They each had one basket. It was bad basketball. If the number one team in the country plays bad basketball and you have a chance to do something and make a statement for your season and you just kind of pee it down your leg, you know, that's uh, – it ain't good. It ain't going to cut it. And that might be a culture thing. And a culture thing reflects back on the coach, you know? So, as much as I hate to say it, uh, even though Texas was shorthanded and Baylor was number one in the country, um, they had a chance to end a 20-game winning streak. And they just petered it away. The fact that Shaka has done so little with so much over the last several years is ridiculous. So Fran Fischilla said this on the broadcast is that over the last three years, Texas has signed 11 of the top 100 recruits. <laughs> so 11% of the top 100 players, um, I guess probably no, it's a, it's a smaller percentage because it's three consecutive cumulative yeah. 100s, but whatever. Yeah. But 11 top 100 players, over the last three seasons. Yeah. <laughs> and Shaka is now definitely not making the NCAA tournament this year. They will probably be an outside team to play for the NIT this year. How? How, how, how? I don't <sighs> get it. I don't get it. No, and, and I'm about to, like, as the, as the host and producer of this podcast, I'm almost on the verge of putting a moratorium on Texas basketball. Like, we will not talk about the men until something changes. Like, that's what it feels like at this point. Like, you remember Texas basketball broke when we were the number one team in the country under Rick Barnes, and it never got so good. It only went down from there. Texas also improved to 0-11 against the number one team. You could have broken a lot of streaks and records here tonight, guys. Um, Yeah. I mean, like I said, I know they were shorthanded, whatever, but it just, I don't know. Kameka Hepa was good. That's some well good on the defensive end. Uh, he was zero for five shooting, um, but uh, you know played some defense and stuff. Uh, three blocks, I'll take that. Uh, I I don't know. I just we uh, we luckily got a couple guys in double digits. I'll say that Jones had ten, Coleman had eleven. Yay. Kyle, I'm done. I'm done. That's let's, it. Let's just kick it over, and we're going to talk about some things that are uh, are more fun to talk about. So with that out of the way, we're going to now give some shine to the teams that don't necessarily get as much shine as they should, and we down the 40. But before we do that, I do have to talk about the NFL Combine. Texas got four players invited to the Combine. Colin Johnson, Devin Duvernay, Malcolm Roach, and Brandon Jones. Names that you expected to be there. The Big 12 had 29 players invited to the combine uh, four of those were from texas but a decent haul from a from a team that people were pretty down on this year right when we talk about uh we we just got done talking a little bit ago about the uh, seven new faces on the coaching staff because of the, the performance last year i mean the fact that that could be a dumpster fire type of year where you just write it off that four guys are invited to the combine and you you know think that at least probably two or three of them are going to have pretty decent draft potential. I mean, I could see definitely all four getting drafted, but going uh, in a decent round, right? I don't know if we have a first round pick in this bunch, but uh, 
Hey, we'll see. You know, we'll see what Duve uh, can do. And Colin Johnson looked good. You know, so um, the, this combine is the chance, right? That's 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 what it's there for. You have a couple freak athletes, and Johnson with his height, Duvernay with his speed and his hands, and and you know Brandon Jones who just looks the part. Like you know, he, he could be one of those guys who does a freaky weight, you know, weight room warrior and and gets another bump to the next level just because he he looks like the player. And Malcolm Roach, a guy who again, it's you saw Todd Orlando try to play him. At linebacker a guy who just coaches like they like the way he talks the way he thinks uh the way he moves for his size you know it's one of those things you could see any of those four guys getting a combine bump if they go out and show out yeah with with what we believe to be colin johnson's measurables if he puts up even a decent 40 time that guy's gonna see his stock rise because he's gonna jump he's gonna he's gonna He's going to jump vertically. He's going to jump horizontally. He's going to he's going to do well, I think, in all the drills because that's kind of what he does. If you don't, if you watch his YouTube videos, he just like post workout stuff, and it's. But I think Johnson and Duvernay are probably going to be the earlier two of the the draft picks. I think uh, Roach and Jones. They'll they'll get drafted. Oh, I say Jones I so. will probably yeah. get drafted. I think Roach may be a, a priority free agent, and that's worked out for some guys. Hashtag we told you about Puna already. So. Teams that are showing a lot of success on the hardwood. Women's basketball continues to roll. Came from an 11-point deficit to top Texas Tech, 81-66. to They put together a 19-2 run, take a lead in the third quarter, and just never gave it back. Good work, ladies, because at least one basketball team can beat Tech. That's right, guys. We ha- we're going to have some March Madness to watch. It just may not be the men's uh, variety. We'll see. But, uh, yeah. Shug- Better tournament anyways. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Shug Sutton um, continues to, to put up just a really, really good year. Um, we've talked a lot about Charlie Collier and, and, and the bigs, but Shug Sutton, 20.6 rebounds in this one. Celeste Taylor, who's really emerging as one of the key players on this team in the kind of later half uh, of, the, of the season, had uh, – Double figures, 11.6 rebounds, four blocks. Um, And then Charlie Collier also, as we've said, um, just puts up double-digit points every game. So I like it. Um, Team's coming together pretty well. You know, little heart. They've shown a couple couple late rallies. And it's nice to see a Texas basketball team uh, stand up in in the fourth or the the, uh, end of the game as opposed to uh, kind of wilting away. Yeah, they still don't have a a number next to their name. I think it's absolutely egregious. But... It's whatever. They'll be fine. It doesn't matter that number as long as you get in the tournament. It's softball season, though, Kyle. So we got to talk about softball. I'm going to just – I'm going to lob it over the plate, and then I want you to give me a good Miranda Elish finish on this. So Texas starts the season by absolutely murdering everyone they played to start 6-0 undefeated to start this season it's beautiful Gerald I, I I believe I on this very podcast told everyone get ready for the the year two of the white Mike era it's only we've only just begun baby as the carpenters uh no relation famously saying this uh this is gonna be a good year Gerald this is I mean there's 50 wins here easily this is just uh, who knows they might they might have 30 run rules at this rate they I think of the type of teams I would not want to face right first obviously the monsters at their peak in a basketball game you know that um you know the the 85 bears defense um 2005 vince young on you know out 
out of the pocket running full speed at you. And then fourth, after that group, I put this Texas softball team. Come on, Gerald. They they are just 78-8. to eight. They have outscored opponents in their first six games. I legitimately don't know one of those videos where, you know, uh, Lionel Messi plays the thousand small um, Japanese schoolboys. I, I don't know if you could get a more one-sided scoreline than, than what we're looking at. I mean, and can we just take a moment to appreciate that they are out there riding for the other sports? Maryland rolls into Red and Charlene McCombs Field feeling pretty frisky. If you recall, they did a number on our football team in some opening games. The softball team in an opener... 17 to 0. Get out of here in five minutes. I got I got chili in the crock pot I gotta eat. This thing probably took an hour and a half. Are you kidding me? Maryland didn't even deserve to be on the same diamond. Get out of here. Go back to your swamp. Yeah, Texas softball. Unbelievable. I mean, just Yes. This is gonna be a are, good year. Are there swamps in Maryland? Yeah, it's know. it's like DC. It's I mean for that that game that was played. At the Redskins Stadium, I'll say after it after it rained, it was a swampy fair. mess. Um, so I, I'm 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 claiming it. Okay, fair. That's fine. Only one game has made it past the fifth inning, Kyle. That's how good these ladies are. Next up for them, they're going to spend Valentine's weekend in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, mm. for the Puerto Vallarta College Challenge. They start with Cal Baptist on Thursday, got a little Valentine's Day doubleheader date with Utah and Tennessee, and then on Saturday, they'll play the Mexican Olympic team They sure will. before taking on Ole Miss. Viva Los Longhorns! I need the, the, the uh, Spanish-language UT football broadcasters to call this game. If that isn't a thing, please make it happen. Um, whoever controls that because they come up with the best uh, nicknames and, and they have some of the best just emotion calling Longhorn games. So I, I really need to hear them calling against the Mexican Olympic team, which is amazing, by the way. You can check them all out on uh, on the radio because you need a subscription to something called flowsoftball.com to watch the video. But that'll be I can happening. Le- I can lend you mine, Gerald. Okay, I appreciate it. <laughs> Login sharing is a real thing. Uh, number four men's tennis back on the right side of the ledger, topping Georgia, number 18, Georgia, four to three in the first win in program history over the Bulldogs. Is that? Wow. Okay. Is that true? That's not the first win in program history if you count football, because if you remember, we beat them in the Sugar Bowl. Um, but uh, we, we did also just hire. Tennis. Just men's tennis. <laughs> we did also hire their best player of all time um, to to join our coaching staff. So, uh, you know, just keep scoring wins over the Bulldogs. So uh, the number seven women's tennis team uh, is at the ITA National Indoor Championship. They just wrapped it up. It's actually where the men are going to be this weekend, but the women Lost to Florida State to open it before beating Illinois and Ohio State to end it out. Uh, Bianca Tarati clinches the match late night with a 6-2, 6-3 upset win over number 8, Shiori Fukuda. They're going to take on Air Force on Thursday and then take on Brown Sunday. Uh, it's 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 all good. Uh, I, I'm not worried. Both teams are going to be in the tournament threatening for national championships. So uh, we're good here. Nothing to see. 
Nothing to see here. Number one, men swimming and diving, and number 10, women swimming and diving, both took on SMU and came away with a win. That actually caps an undefeated regular season for the men's team. Next up for both, they're going to take a couple weeks off before taking everybody's favorite trip in the Big 12, heading to Morgantown, West Virginia, for the Big 12 championships February 26th. Yeah, maybe you don't recall, because I think you were on the wrong side of this. When I was a kid, I played for the uh, the local elite youth um, football program in, in the greater SCUCISD area, um, Cibolo Creek Cougars, and we would play um, various teams and um, that, that were of lesser speed. And when, when we came to those teams' fields, it often happened, and I won't name Edgewood or any of these schools by name, or you know uh, programs by name uh, who did this, but they, we would find that their sprinklers always broke. And they negated our, you know, future uh, Army All-American uh, running back James Henry's four-three um, speed. Um, again, we're talking youth football here by by having very wet fields, like just on accident every time, over and over. Um, I worry when you talk about the unstoppable number one and number ten men's and women's swimming and diving team going to the Big Twelve Championship in Morgantown. Do you think there's any way that they fill the pools with moonshine instead of water to try to play to their strategic advantage is what I was trying to get to. Uh one, I had no clue where that was going. <laughs> it, it had was nonsensical to say the least. I would say the pools are probably high more likely to be filled with couches than moonshine, I feel Fair like. Fair enough. That's Fair probably enough. and two, as someone who who played on the the Randolph Rohawks and never lost to the Cibolo Creek Cougars. I don't know yeah, what you're talking about. Fake news. Uh, number twenty five men's golf. Tied for second at the uh, Amer Ari Invitational, the number one women's golf team is currently tied uh, for third with the data play at the Northrop Grumman Regional Invitational. So good stuff from those teams. We do have to end on mm. kind of a down note. Uh, legendary women's golf coach Pat Weiss passed away this week at the age of 89. And she's a legend in the real sense of a, the word and not the way it gets just kind of thrown around casually. Uh, she was an associate professor of physical education. That's how she came to the university. In 1957, she actually started the women's golf team in the 1973-74 academic year and then led them to varsity status the next academic year. She coached them until her retirement in 1993. So from 1973 to 1993, she was at the helm. She was named the National Coach of the Year in 87 and 88, the Women's Golf Coaches Association Hall of Fame in 1987, while she was still coaching. In 1991, this is cool, she earned the Gladys Palmer Award, the highest honor that's bestowed by the National Golf Coaches Association. She was an absolute legend, and we are so sad to see her go, but her legacy is intact with what these women are doing on campus. Man, that uh, truly, you said it before the show, Jared, that is a, a Longhorn legend in the, the most serious you know, way you can say that. Um, not not that to diminish anyone else who gets called a Longhorn legend. It's a nice term, um, but truly, uh, Pat Weiss is a, is a is a, an original. Um, they're one and only, um, and the world is uh, is lesser for having her uh, having her pass through it um, and no longer be a part of it. But um, yeah, a a national champion, a a um, a, a true uh, innovator of of Longhorns, where we talk about them being elite in women's sports in in non-revenue sports she's a huge part of that uh specifically for the now number one uh women's golf team so um hook them uh to to coach weiss and uh forever legend 
horns up for a legend indeed. Our thoughts and prayers go out to her family. So that's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So Gerald, I know um, some of our Twitter followers saw us, uh, saw us, I'll say quoting a, uh, and I'll say scout, um, a couple weeks back, um, he was he was at the uh, he was at the Senior Bowl. He was watching something, maybe football. Either way, he he reached out and talked about one of our players, Devin Duvernay. Pretty good guy, probably heard of him. Um, mentioned that without the explosiveness. Uh, that he, he's not going to blow people away athletically. So he really has to be reliable. He has to work on his catching. Um, you know, guy with the best hands, literally, statistically, in the country. We we, we drug him on social media. Um, but then, you know, the the uh, equivalent of, of the, the alley to our oop, or maybe the oop to our alley, um, the, the PFF, uh, the Pro Football College, account was doing their pre-draft analysis. They're, they're good follow at this time of year. Um, and they looked at the draft eligible receivers and, and the, the overall yak. That's yards after the catch for the uninitiated. And uh, there were some good players on this list. Uh, you know, you, you look at C.D. Lamb, a guy who, you know, got at least half of these against Texas, but uh, a guy who looked like the legitimate Heisman contender from that OU team, um, if, if you had to pick one. Uh, Justin Jefferson from LSU, which, you know, truly made Joe Burrow look like, you know, he's going to earn Joe Burrow a whole lot of money. Not that Joe doesn't deserve it, but just was unbelievable. Um, C.D. Lamb at 683. Uh, Brandon Ayuk from, from Arizona State at 710. Justin Jefferson, even more than him, at 714. But there was one name that rose above them all the 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 yards after catch leader without the two extra games that you count from an SEC championship and a national championship uh game well, I guess three um also your your playoff game without those three games Devin Duvernay still led all receivers with 719 yards after the catch. And at least like 12 of those were running through the center of Grant Delpit's soul. So I just want to say um, for any scouts out there who have any doubt about the things that Devin Duve can do with his hands, with the ball in his hands, running deep and running after he's got the ball deep for 60 yards with people chasing at his heels, have no doubt. Devin Duvernay is the shout. On Sundays, Devin Duvernay. Uh, scoop him up in the first round. Just do it. No, we're, I mean, we'll, we'll set it before we've said it again. I think Duvernay is one of those guys that people are going to look back and be like, how did he fall to the fifth round, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be one of those guys. And, I mean, catching catching footballs in the professional level is all Texas players do because I got to shout out Patrick Vahe for catching not just a pass in his XFL uh, debut for the L.A. Wildcats, but he caught a pass for a first down and gave us a first down celebration, <laughs> which, Pat, I love you, buddy. You, for a long time, were my favorite player on the team. 
you left some meat on the bone. That's all I'm going to say. There were a couple extra yards you could have got on that first down <laughs> catch, but I'm glad that you caught it, big man. I always love seeing big men get to do big men things. So speaking of big men doing big man things, you and I talk a lot about how much we love Herb Hand. If you don't follow Herb Hand on Twitter, the guy is just incredible. He the way he the way he rides for his players and his former coaches is just absolutely incredible. He's a sharp mind, um, and he also probably one of the things I appreciate him for the most is Herb Hand is a bit of a foodie. Herb Hand loves a good meal as well. The man who's going to recruit all your offensive linemen should, he's got to know the good spots to take them in the city. And so he's got a bit of a reputation, actually Bruce Feldman, a guy who is one of my kind of, um, not idols. Cause I, don't, I feel like we shouldn't idolize people, but like one of the people that I like look up to in the sports journalism industry, Bruce Feldman on Twitter, is kind of obsessed with Herb Hand, and somebody asked him why this week, and he said, Herb Hand is your go-to for great recommenda- food recommendations pretty much anywhere in the country. That has nothing to do with his ability on the field, has nothing to do with his ability anywhere else, but that's the kind of energy I want from my offensive line coaches, is I need a man who doesn't just understand the minutia of gap assignments, but I need a man who understands the minutia of what makes a good plate. And that's why I will always ride for Herb Hand. Now, that's that's you're absolutely correct, Gerald. And I mean, coming from New York, y- you never know. You never know what kind of food guy you're getting, right? You know, and people say I'm not from Texas, but I got here uh, as quick as I could. Um, he is a guy who has made the most out of his surroundings. He spent a lot of time, obviously, at uh, at Penn State. Um, you know, and, and, and I've, I spent a lot of time in state college. It's a fine place, but, um, from there he really, he really upgraded, right? So he left Vanderbilt, Nashville, great food scene was there a couple weeks ago, get the hot chicken, um, went to Penn state. He, 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 he did fine in a place that's not known for it. Then got to Auburn deep South knows his barbecue. And now I don't know if he's ever going to go anywhere else. Cause he sure probably ain't going back to West Virginia or Tulsa. Um, but he's in Texas, in Austin, Texas, the food mecca of the world. Guys, if you're if you're a, a hot recruit, you know, you want to figure out how is Yancey going to put muscle on me and and how am I going to, you know, how am I going to go from being 275 pounds of high school lean or high school kind of blubbery mass to, you know, 300 pounds of lean, mean fight machine ready to go to the NFL. The answer is come to Herb Hand. And the Texas Longhorns football program let him get you the hot, you know, hottest food wrecks in town. He's going to beef you up with a nutritionist, uh, but also with the deliciousness. So um, I, 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 Herb Hand continues to be the best. I, I, Andy Staples is usually my go-to guy for the intersection of college football and food. But, you know, Herb, Herb Hand is, is coming for that number one spot. I'm fine with it. Herb Hand, a coach for you on the field, off the field and at the plate. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH good, which follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn pod. Shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic pod at gmail.com. You can find me on my other podcast later this week, two woke nerds, where we talk about birds of prey. Raymond and I are one of the only six people in the country that went and saw that movie this weekend, but that's, <laughs> Okay, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up.
Hook'em. Read Vince's Player Tribune. <laughs>